You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Amen. All right, I feel like I should warn you guys, okay, just a disclaimer. Um, I've been sitting in here most of the morning listening to our worship team practice and, and getting ready for, for this morning, and so I feel like I am jacked this morning. Like, I, I don't know about you, but like sitting through that worship, like, come on now, right? You guys, okay, all right, well, we got some work to do this morning, all right? Uh, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors of Stan Said, and, and uh, we're going through the book of James, and I, I love I love the book of James, and the, the title of our series is Just Do Something. And as we've, as we've been going through James, we're, we're taking a real slow walk through it because we've been in it, I think, four weeks now, and we haven't got out of chapter one yet. Um, and so we're, we're taking a slow walk. And this morning, as, as we look at James chapter one, verse, verses 22 through the end of the chapter, and first of all, I just want to say, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one, all right? We have Bibles on our info t- central table um, where the big sign is. So we have Bibles out there we would love to put into your hands. If you don't have a Bible, we want, we want everybody to have one of those. Um, but this morning, as we look at James chapter one, 22 through 27, I believe what we see is James kind of he, he asks this question, and he kind of gets, as, as I was studying through this, it's, it's this question that he answers that, that I never really thought about necessarily until I started really studying this out, and it's, it's this. How do we know our religion is valuable? Okay, how, do we know, how do we know our religion is valuable? Not how do we know if it's true. That's not what I'm asking. How do we know if it's valuable? See, this is a question we ask in other areas of our lives. We ask this question like when it comes to our finances. If we're about to buy something, we say, well, how do I know this is really worth what I'm, what, if I go all in with this thing, am I gonna be satisfied? Is it going to lead me to where I want it to go? Like one time I, uh, I was up middle of the night and this is when my, my daughter was, I think she was a newborn, um, and my wife and I, we were taking turns, and it was my turn. I was up in the middle of the night. I was trying to get her to go back to sleep, and I was watching TV, which is a bad combination. Um, for those of you parents who you've been there, sleep-deprived, all of that, I'm trying to feed her and watching, of all things, infomercials. I don't know why. Uh, we lived in northern Iowa, so maybe that's the only channel that had anything on it in the middle of the night. Maybe that's it. But I remember as I was watching this infomercial like, and, and trying to hold my, my new baby girl and, and feeding her, this, this lot came on of, of knives and swords. Right, yeah? And some of you, some of you are like, I don't get it. No, it's, I mean, as I, was, as I was in my sleep-deprived state, okay, watching this infomercial, thinking like, why wouldn't I buy this? What, what, what possibly could stop me from picking up the phone, calling, and getting the, I, I kept thinking, like, like this, this would make me money, right? If, if I bought this and I took some of the swords and I kept them for myself, which is, duh, right? You'd want to do that. And then I turned around and sold the others on eBay. I'm like, I would lose money if I didn't do this. And, and I kept thinking, and then, and then if you've ever watched uh, the infomercials, there's always a countdown, right? And so it's like, as I was watching, I think it was like five minutes. I had five minutes left to make this decision. And here I am, it's probably three in the morning with my little girl trying to feed her with my phone in my hand thinking, is this worth it? Like, is this, and, and even the thought crossed my mind, like, I should wake up Albertine. I should wake up my wife right now. Like, because, because I want her in on this. I, like, I want her, I want her input, 
right? And I should wake her up <laughs> at three in the morning. And, and it turns out I didn't buy it. I was like, this is probably the worst mistake of my life right now. This, is, this could probably set us up forever. I didn't buy it. I, I told my wife about it the next morning. I'm like, you would never believe the, the deal that I missed out on last night. You'd never believe. And I told her all about it. And she's like, well, let's just look online and see. And sure enough, the deal was still there. The countdown was still going. It, it was not worth it. It wasn't, even, even in my, in my sleep-deprived state, I had, to, I had the mental capacity to ask myself, is this really worth it? Like, if I go all in with this, and we ask the question when it comes to our finances, when it comes to what we spend our time on, when it comes to our careers, but do we ask that question when it comes to our faith, our religion, our, the, our, our system of beliefs that we have in place about what we believe about God, how do we interact with God, how do we interact with his word? The question this morning is your religion valuable? And I believe James answers that question. He, he, he lets us in on how do, we know, how do we know if our religion is valuable? And as we look at this passage, what I want to show you is that he kind of breaks it down into, into four different parts. In verse 22, we see he lays out this principle for us. And then in 23 through 25, he illustrates the principle. And then in 26, he gives us an example to further, further explain what he's talking about. And then in 27, he gives us a conclusion. So as we go through this, I want you to ask yourself, I, wanna, I want you to have this question in your mind, is my religion valuable? If I go all in with this thing, if I really, if I really do all this, is it going to lead me, what, I'm, what I have right now, is that going to lead me to where I want to go, where God wants me to be? Let's read this together. James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Let's stop there. All right, first of all, we see, now you, now you see why we're not even out of chapter one, right? We, we take this slow. That's what we do here at Anthem. But the first thing that you see here is, is a but, right? The word but. And I think when, when you read that, you have to think about like, well, where's he going with this? Where has he been? And, and Stan talked last week about anger and what do we do with that and, and, and the, the anger of man and the righteousness of God. And in the end of his section last week in verse 21, it says this, James says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Do you see the word that he's, he's saying, receive with meekness the implanted word, and then he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. See, the principle I believe that James lays out for us in this first verse is that hearing but not doing leads to deception. Hearing but not doing leads to deception. I mean, he, he's talking about this word. He's, that it, I, I believe it's word like I have a couple of them on the screen, that just verses that, that, I came, uh, that came to my mind. First John 4.20, this word, it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's, that's the implanted word that we have in Luke 9.23. It says, Jesus says this, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. As James is saying here, he's saying, receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive these things. What does it mean to receive? I believe what James is saying is he's saying if, you, if, if receiving doesn't compel you to action, then you are deceived. Like, think about it this way. A pastor uh, once talked to, 
It was in a sermon. He, he said, all right, think about it. I'll, I'll put myself in this situation. Think about it. If I left my kids a note, if I, if I woke up in the morning, I got to go to work, I leave my kids a note, and it says, hey, take out the trash. And I leave that note on the refrigerator for them to find. And, and I come home at the end of the day, and I look in, and I see the note's gone. Trash is still there. So I tell my kids, I say, hey, did you see my note? Did, did, you, did you see my note? And they said, yeah, Dad, you know what? We appreciated your note so much. We just felt like you were with us in that note. We just, we could feel your presence. Whenever we read that note, we just, we just felt you with us. And it was so, it was so good. And, and, and you know, we, we thought about the implications of, of your note. And we thought, about, we thought about the context in which you wrote that note. What was your mindset? What were you doing? You're, you're on your way to work. Mm, we thought about that. And then, and then you know, we, we even looked at the original language of what, it, what does it mean to to take. Let's just, let's just think about that for a second. We thought about those things, and, and then even we, we, Dad, we even got together a group of our friends, and we all sat in a circle, and we made some coffee, and, and we, we, we talked about the implications of our community from your note. We talked about all those things, and we even, we framed your note and embossed it, and we, we did all these, and okay, so if you put yourself in that situation, would you, would you say that they had received your words if there was no action, if the trash was still in the same place? Some of you are like, I don't think I want to answer this question. No, right? No. No. See, I, I believe what James is saying, the principle that he's laying out for us, is this idea of hearing but not doing leads to deception. To, to read these implanted words that have been given to us and walk away thinking that we are good, thinking that we're better than, than we are when I have another one up on the screen. Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says this. You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus speaking, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see, when we read verses like this and when we walk away from, from Scripture, no matter how much time you spend in it, no matter how much, how much effort you put towards it, no matter how many quiet times you have, if you are just a hearer but not a doer, James says you are being deceived. That's, that's the principle he lays out. And then in verse 23, he gives us an example or an illustration. He said, okay, let's, let's go further into this. Verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Let's just stop there. He's, he's saying, okay, it's kind of like this. And this idea of being a hearer, not a doer, it's kind of like this. If you wake up in the morning, you roll out and you got your natural face on. For some of you, that looks a certain way. For others, it looks a certain way. Like for, for gals, like I was thinking about this, like I wonder what your natural face looks like. Sometimes, you know, you get to church and it's like, you, you, you know, dressed to the nines and you got your makeup done. But when you roll out of bed in the morning, right, when you roll out of bed, what's your natural face look like? When you, when you stare, he even says intently into the mirror. And you get up out of bed and you got like gunk in your eyes and, and you know, you're just like looking. It's like, whew. That's a mess, right? And it's like, I, I need to do something with this hair. I need to brush my teeth. I need to, like, I got that pimple that something needs to be done about that. And then he says, but, but if you're a hearer and not a doer, it's like you just walk away. And it's like, yeah, maybe tomorrow. See, the idea is, even in his illustration, he's saying looking into the mirror 
if it doesn't lead to action, then it's as if you didn't look at all. If it doesn't lead you to like, hey, take a shower, get that stuff out of your eye, like maybe throw some product in there, right? Get a, get a hairdryer, do something. Like if it doesn't lead us to action, then it's like you never looked at it to begin with. And at times he's, he's saying, look, this is, this is what it looks like and you're being deceived if you walk away and it doesn't lead you to action. But then he goes on in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He says, but. That's, that's what it looks like to be, to be a hearer and not a doer, and so therefore being deceived, but. But, here's, here's if, if you look into the, the law, into the perfect law, I love the adjectives that he puts along with the law, and, and what, what he means by law is, is that implanted word. It's that, it's that way we are to live. It's, that, it's, those, it's the, 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 the way of life that God has set up for us. He says, if you look into that, if you look into the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has saved us, no matter where you're at, in the depth of your depravity, that Jesus came into that spot and he took our brokenness. And he gives you healing. He gives you freedom. It says, when you look into that, that perfect law, that, that word perfect, it means there's, there's nothing lacking from this. There's nothing that needs to be added to it. When you look into that law, the law of liberty, the law that sets you free, this isn't, this isn't a law that, that puts heavy burdens on our backs. And, and people just walk around and, and it's like, wow, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Just love Jesus. You know, it's like, really? Because you look like you're angry. You know, it's like, it, it's not this, this law that's like, oh, at least I'm going to heaven. This life is terrible. But, you know, that, this idea that, that we just, just slog through. And, and then it's this other idea. It's like, well, I got to share the gospel. Let, let's put some heavy loads on other people because misery loves company, right? He's not saying that. What, what does he say? This is the law of liberty, this is the law that sets you free. This is the law of freedom. This is the message of freedom that's not only for freedom after we die. It's not only good news after death. It's good news for this life right now, what we're doing, where we are. It's freedom that we don't have to be bound to sin. We don't have to be bound to those things that, that, that do weigh us down. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest. See, this is the law that sets you free. And he says, when you stare into that and when you are set free, that freedom propels you into mission. It compels you to, to go forward and do something with it. Amen? Do you see that? And, and he says there, he says, it requires perseverance. I believe that James is saying, look, I'm not saying this is easy. Let's not kid ourselves. I'm not, I'm not just saying, well, well, you have the Bible. So what's wrong? right? Just turn that frown upside down no matter what's happening in your life. You have the Bible. You got the word. You should be happy. I don't believe that's what James is saying. He's saying this takes perseverance. See, he's, he's writing to a group of people that could have said, you know, James, that all sounds good, but I'm not in a place right now to be propelled into action. I'm not in a place right now to be on mission. He, he was writing to a group of people who were being persecuted 
who had been scattered from their hometown, who had, who had most likely lost houses and family and, and possessions. And, and they were people who were, who were being persecuted and people who were, who were out among the nations. And he's saying, look, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, you are free in Christ. And that freedom should propel you into mission, should compel you to be a doer, not just a hearer. And, and I think it's, they could be people who say, you know, James, that sounds great, but you know what, I'm just not there right now. I'm not. Maybe, maybe when life situation is, maybe when my life looks a little different. Maybe when I get my house back. Maybe when my kids are a little older. Maybe when me and my wife aren't, aren't having such a hard time. See, I believe what he's saying is he's saying, look, this requires perseverance. Mission requires perseverance. But, but do you see what it leads to? He says there, he says in verse, in the last part of verse 25, he will be blessed in his doing. I love that. I love that verse. Because I think at times for me, when I think of being on mission, I think of what the outcome is. When I, when I feel as though God tells me to do something, when I feel that, that prompting from the Holy Spirit, or when I read things like, like love your enemies, ah, right? That's hard. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. No, thank you. I will pray for them. I will pray for the judgment of God to come down on them. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? I will pray for them. I'll pray for those Democrats. I'll pray for those Republicans. I'll pray for those liberals. I'll pray for those conservatives. I'll pray that God will, will bring revelation. I'll pray that God will, will show them the error of their way. He's saying, he's saying love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Who are enemies in your life? When, when we see this, I, I think he's saying, look, you will be blessed in your doing, not the outcome, not what's on the other side of that. There are times where I feel like God is telling me to do something. I'm like, God, they won't listen. God, if I say that, they're going to laugh at me. God, if I do that, I'm going to look foolish. God, if I, if I say that, they're going to think I'm crazy. But he says, you will be blessed in what? just said it just a few minutes ago you guys are like I don't know be blessed in the starts with a d ends with ooing right doing right you'll be blessed in the doing it reminds me of this story I don't remember where I heard it but it reminds me of this story where this guy God tells this guy to push a rock and it's this huge boulder in the middle of the path and God tells this guy to push the rock. And so the guy starts pushing the rock, and he's pushing the rock, and he's pushing the rock. But it won't budge. It won't go anywhere. It won't move. And, and God's telling him, push the rock, push the rock, push the rock. And finally, after, after a long time of pushing the rock and not doing anything, no outcome, no, for, no foreseeable movement by that rock, the guy is fed up, and he says, I'm done. I'm done with this. You told me to push the rock, I'm pushing the rock, but the rock hasn't gone anywhere. There's nothing happening, and I believe in the story, God says, okay, yeah, the rock hasn't moved, but I didn't tell you to move the rock. I didn't tell you to move the rock. I told you to push the rock, and now look at yourself, look at your body, look at your arms, look at the strength, look at the sinews in your, in your muscles, look at, look at the, the leanness. You are stronger now because you obeyed me and you'll be blessed in the doing. Christian, if you're sitting there saying, oh, I don't know if I can say that because what will happen on the other end, I believe what James is saying here is he's saying, no, leave that in God's hands. You'll be blessed in the what? Doing. There you go. You guys are getting it. Be blessed in the doing. And then he, he ends and he's, he says, all right, here's, here's the example 
There's the illustration. Now let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, the person's religion is what? Can you say that for me? Worthless. It's worthless. See, again, James is talking to these people who are, the, the threat is, the principle is to be, to be a hearer only and not a doer leads to deception and he's saying, look, if, if you are, are in this and you're not a doer, just a hearer, your religion is worthless. And I, I think it's interesting that the, the example that he chooses to use. Anybody read that? And it's like, oh, that hurts. That lands a little too close to home. Why didn't James, like, I, I was thinking about this. Why didn't James use an example of, like, like if, you, if you kill people, your religion is worthless. Because lots of times, what do we say? Like, well, I'm not perfect, but I, I haven't killed anybody. Right? Or, or, or like Hitler's always that, that uh, person where it's like, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like Hitler. James doesn't say, hey, if you have created like a situation or a government that has, has uh, participated in genocide, then your religion is worthless. He doesn't say that. He says, if you have an unbridled tongue, your religion is worthless. You know that word unbridled? Like, have you ever been around a horse? Some of you, some of you I know you work with horses. I, horses are just scary to me. Like, the idea, the, the idea, the audacity that someone would strap themselves to a beast that's like, what, how heavy? How big? Like, way too big. Like, that's just crazy to me. Like, crazy. But the idea that one of those horses could then be unbridled and just set loose, it's like just terrorizing. In my mind, it's like horses just running wild through the streets. You know, like we need to put out a service announcement about unbridled horses. Like it's scary. A horse needs a bridle because it needs direction. There needs to be control that's not just in the horse. And when, when we have an unbridled tongue, what he's, what he's meaning there, what he's talking about is, is, is where if you, if you say, well, man, I... Oh, I didn't mean to say that. That joke was, that was a little off-colored. I don't, I don't know why I said that. Oh, I don't know why I said that about that person. That was, that was actually gossip. Like, I just, I just entered in a gossip. I actually just slandered that person. I, I, I've had situations before where, and I don't know about you, I won't make you, make you raise your hand, but I've been in situations before where it's like, I should not have said that, and I wish that I could pull it back. I wish that I could put that back in my mouth and, and just pretend like it never happened. Those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. He says that, if you're that, your religion is what? It doesn't need help. It doesn't need a boost. It doesn't just need some, some, you know, like a good pep talk. What does he say? Your religion is what? Worthless. Guys, this is an example that he's given to us, and I believe what James is saying here is he's saying, look, if what you hear on Sunday morning, if what you read in your quiet time, whenever you have that, if what you hear doesn't affect what you say on Monday morning, then what? Your religion is what? Worthless. I was thinking about it in terms of, I heard this illustration before, like if I, if I were to, to get here this morning and, and I see Nick Serene, and Nick Serene, maybe he's a little stressed, a little more than usual, right? And, and Nick is kind of running around. I'm like, whoa, 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 Nick, Nick, what's going on, man? Like what's, what's happening? He's like, oh, Luke, you, 
I've had the worst morning this morning. All right, you will never guess what happened to me. I was like, what, Nick? I got hit by a truck this morning. Like, I got hit by a truck. It's like, no, your car? No, me, my person. I got hit by a truck. I, I, I would be like, uh, I'm not saying you're a liar, but I, I am saying I don't believe you. Why? Because if, if you're saying that I have come in contact with something that weighty, something that massive, something that changing, and you walk away unchanged by what you just experienced, then my question for you is, are you telling the truth? Have you truly been impacted by what you're saying that you've been impacted by? If you sit here on Sunday morning and you hear it and you take it in, and you say, mm, that's good, and you engage in worship, and you sit there and you let the word be spoken over you, and yet you walk away on Monday morning and what you hear doesn't affect what you say, then your religion is what? Worthless. And that is scary to me because I believe that there are times where I've gone from Sunday to Sunday without being impacted, truly impacted by the words that I've heard. So that's a scary place to be. But, but here's, how, here's how James wraps this up. Here's the conclusion that he gives in verse 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled. He, he just said, this is, this is religion that's worthless. If you walk away un, unimpacted by it, this is, this is, that's religion that is worthless. So, so what is religion that's, that's valuable? What's religion that's true? He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, religion that is based on hearing and not doing is worthless, but religion that is valuable is religion that compels us into mission, that propels us into the world. I, I, the, the imagery that comes to my mind when I think of what James is talking about here is like a, like a castle in like Braveheart. And I know I'm dating myself. I just turned 38 this past week, which I thought I was turning 37. So that was kind of a bummer, but you know, whatever. So, but, but like the, the castles, the, the cities in Braveheart, you know, where, where there's, there's, this, there's this castle in it, and there's a tower, and then there's a, there's a city wall around. And if there's, if there's like William Wallace is coming in, and he's going to sack things, they, they blow a trumpet, or they ring the bell. And people from the countryside, what do they do? They come into the city, and they shut the gate, and they, they cower behind the city gates, and they hope that the things outside the city will not change them, will not affect them, will not take them out, will not bring them down. And, and James is saying, look, that's, that's good. That's what religion is supposed to do. When we are impacted by the world, when, when things come against us, when we're tempted, when we're, when we're threatened to be taken off course, religion that is pure and blameless before God the Father is this. It's religion that keeps you unchanged and strengthened by, like, a, like a lighthouse in a storm, pointing you in the right direction, keeping you on track. It's, it's holding tight, persevering to the word that's been given to you and, and, and staying strong and saying, man, praise God that I have this anchor, this, this rock that I can cling to in the midst of my trial, in the midst of my persecution, in the midst of my questions. I praise God that I have something I can cling to. But we were never meant to just stay behind those city walls. Right? When, I think of, when I think of movies like Braveheart or when I think of, like, you know, I don't know, I have an overactive imagination. When I think of like medieval times, most of the time that king, he'll send forces out. 
If he wants to expand his territory, if he wants to conquer other lands, he'll send people out, ambassadors. He'll send them out and he'll say, hey, the king is coming. The king is coming and he has this much force. And if you submit to him, then this will be what life is like for you. You see, what what James is saying here is he's saying pure religion that's valuable is religion that keeps us safe and unchanged by the, the, the forces that would come against us. But it's also religion that makes us change agents for the world around us. Amen? I don't know. Like, I, that, that, gets me, that gets me just wired. Like, I feel like, let's go. If that's, if that's the mission that we're put on, and, and especially when it says it's, it's, it's this, it's, it's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, he's saying it's, it's taking the message, the law of liberty that sets us free, and it's going out to the marginalized, the ones who are downtrodden, the ones who have no hope, no future, and saying, our king is a good king. He sets you free. He has life and liberty for you in the midst of your depravity, in the midst of your darkness. He has light. We are called to be that. We are called to be salt, and we're called to be salt to the world. It's where we get salt company. Some of you are like, I never made that connection. You're welcome. That was free, right? That's why we're called Salt Company, because we, we want to bring college students and say, you have a mission to be on. You have a purpose, and it's not just college. It's not just young people. Old people, don't just sit back. I need a new phrase. Not old people. Like, I'm in that. Seasoned people. Is that better? Like, we can't just sit back and be like, well, I'm sure appreciative that I'm a part of a church that has so many opportunities for our young people to be on mission. No! Yes, praise God for that. But you guys, we can't check out. I want my religion to be valuable. I want to be on mission. I want to proclaim the the law of liberty that sets people free, the marginalized that I pass by every day. People who, who nobody else sees. I want to see them. I want to take that message to them. Uh, and, and the reason, it, like, I, I believe that James, he goes into, okay, why do we do this? Why should we have religion that's valuable, religion that, that not only keeps us unchanged but makes us change agents? Why should we do that? Because here's the reality. James is saying that's the law of liberty, and there are still people trapped in their sin and darkness all around us. And we need to be people who would be, be propelled into mission because we're people who are set free. Amen? We're people who are free. And so that freedom should, should compel us to go proclaim freedom to those around us. It, as I was thinking through this, it reminded me of this, one of the, the a passage from uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, and it goes like this. Let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and every molehill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring. 
And when this happens, when we let freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. We are free people. If you've been impacted by the word, You are free people. And religion that is valuable is religion that actively propels us into mission. So here's the question for you this morning. Here's the question for me this morning. Is your religion valuable? Is your religion valuable? Has it it impacted you in such a way that you are propelled into mission? Or... Are you deceiving yourselves? Am I deceiving myself? By going from from week to week, church to church, sitting and teaching and soaking it up and enjoying it, but never taking it from this place to out there. Staying behind the walls of our religion and saying, okay, hold tight, hold firm, persevere, but never going out with the mission, being, being satisfied in our own comfort and satisfied in our own freedom, but never being people who proclaim that freedom. See, here's, here's the reality. Here's, here's the thing. I want to be, I want us to be a church that does something with the word. But, you know, in order to be a church that does something with the word, that has religion that's valuable, that is, that is truly salt and light to those around us, in order to be a church like that, we have to be people like that. And I think sometimes we think, well, if the church would do this, if the church would do that, who are you talking to? We're a, we're a new church plant. Like, look around. The church that you're talking about that you wish would do something is you and the people around you. It's you in your neighborhood where God has put you. Here's the question, is your religion valuable? What we're going to do right now is the band's going to come up. And we are going to end in worship. And what we do here at Anthem Church every Sunday is we take communion. Almost every Sunday we take communion. And what I want us to do this morning as we take communion, I want us to to use this time as an opportunity. As you go, we have stations around the room. And we have gluten-free, I think, in this corner, and I think the back corner back there. We have gluten-free for you to, to if, if you need that, and to not be excluded. But as we take communion, as you, as you go to one of these tables, and as Jesus says, as often as you meet, do this in remembrance of me. As you, as you break off a piece of that bread, which represents his body, his body, which was broken for you and for me. And as you take that bread and as you dip it in the cup, which represents his blood, which was poured out for you and for me, for us to be free people, for us to be free from our sin, as you dip that bread in that juice and as you take that, my prayer for you is that as Jesus said, this is my blood of a new covenant, my prayer for you is that you would say, yes, God. Yes. I want to be a person on mission. I want to be a church on mission. And maybe for you, I, I, I want you to take a few minutes. I don't want you to just jump up and run to the communion tables because that's what time it is. And that's what we do on Sunday morning. But if you're sitting there and there are some things where it's like, I, I have a problem with this. I don't know if I can do that. You talked about praying for your enemies. I don't know about that. Orphans and widows. 
I don't know. Don't just jump up. Don't don't just go without really wrestling with things. And maybe in your seat, maybe there are some things that you and I, we need to repent of. We need to say, sorry, God, sorry for, for spending so many weeks just content with hearing and never doing, therefore deceiving myself. God, I have been deceived, thinking that I'm in a better place than where I was. God, I've been deceived, but I don't wanna be deceived any longer. I want religion that is valuable. I want you, God. I want, to, I want you to set me free, and I want that freedom to set me on mission. Maybe that's you this morning. And then when you come to that place where you're ready to say yes, God, whatever that means, whatever it means for me this week, whatever you have for me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into it with open hands because God, I wanna be a doer. I wanna be a proclaimer of freedom. So as the band plays, and as you pray, whenever you're ready, wherever you are, get up, take communion, enter into that mission, and then, and then come back to your seat, stay standing. We're just gonna end the morning just worshiping the fact that we are people who are set free and who are set on mission. Pray with me. God, I thank you so much. God, I thank you for the mission that you have set us on. God, I thank you for the freedom that we have in you. God, I thank you, I thank you, God, for the fact that you have, you have allowed us to, to have a word, to, to have words in, in your word, God, that, that, that sets us free. God, I praise you for the fact that we can come before you, God, that, that, you have, that you have made a way for us to come into relationship with you, that you have set us free from our sin and our bondage. And God, I pray that you would help us not to just stop there behind those city walls, but God, I pray that you would help us to be ambassadors who take that message of freedom and liberty to those around us because Columbia needs to hear that. Columbia needs to hear that. Missouri needs to hear that. Our country, our nation needs to see people set free, proclaim freedom to others. Our world, the nations need to see that, God. So let us be people who would say yes.